So if you listen to professional athletes talk about losses in important games, they'll often say something similar to what Tom Brady has said. Those games live with you the rest of your life. Remembering the loss, remembering even particular plays, a play that wasn't made or a play that changed the momentum of a game. Uh, In a similar way, we tend to have a difficult time forgetting our sinfulness. We have a difficult time forgetting areas of failure and mistake, um, the guilt and the shame or the damage caused by poor decisions can haunt us, can haunt our minds, and it can be easy to live in regret. So the statement on your screen or the question on the screen is, do you remember your sins? A way better question than that one is, does God remember your sins? That's a way better question. And this text that we're going to look at for a few minutes this morning is going to answer that question. I am so thankful for a God who has loved us so much that He's provided something so much better than us dealing with the remembrances of our own sin and failure. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, while I might still remember my sin... God does not. God does not. In the book of Hebrews, God is convincing a weary group of believers that there is no better place for refuge than in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're weary. They've been under duress. And the temptation was to head back to a familiar, less combative place. But throughout this glorious letter, God is encouraging them and reminding them that refuge comes in and through Christ. And there is no better place of refuge than Him. He tells them that Jesus is a better word than the word delivered previously. Jesus is a better word. And that resulted in confidence. Confidence that they had come to the right place. He was superior and is superior to the angels of God. And that resulted in in help or aid and compassion from their Savior. Jesus is superior to Joshua who led the people to a temporary rest. But Jesus' rest is an eternal, permanent rest. What What a difference. Jesus is superior to the priests of the Old Testament, resulting in a perfect atonement. We're going to talk about that this morning, this perfect atonement that is found in Christ alone. Jesus functions as a superior kind of priest, providing a better set of promises. And it was offered, His sacrifice was offered on a better altar, an altar that's found in heaven. The offerings and sacrifices of the former testament were unable to provide lasting peace. And it reminded the people, these former sacrifices, they reminded the people of their sinfulness repeatedly. With that being said, I want to read a lengthy section. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 
18. And then we're going to just make a few points. We're going to be brief in our reflection on these texts because we want to celebrate the Lord's table together. So we're going to read through it and then I'll make some, some points, some comparisons throughout and then, and then we'll celebrate the Lord's table together. Verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of Me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offerings according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily in his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after say, saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, will you read this with me? I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering sin. He's been building in this argument from verse 1 of chapter 1, declaring that Jesus Christ is superior, that He is the very best, that Jesus is sufficient, that there is safety and refuge found in Him. He's been declaring this from the beginning. He's been building in this argument. As he comes to chapter 10, he basically is bringing forth his closing argument. In the coming verses, as you get to the second half of chapter 10 and through the end of chapter 13, he then starts to apply these things and help them to, to think through them. But, but what he's doing now is he's bringing this argument to a conclusion. And he starts this final argument by saying, uh, speaking of the insufficiency of the law to take away sin. He speaks about the insufficiency of the law to take away sin. And how he starts this argument is he says in verse 1, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true substance of these realities. He's letting us know the law was only a, a, a form 
the substance is found in Christ. And Paul says that same thing in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. The Lord Jesus made the same kind of statement in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, Think not that I have come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. To finish. To, to bring to its completion. He is the completion of the law. He's not the, the, the foreshadowing. He's the substance. The law just foreshadowed. So he starts to speak about that insufficiency. The law could not make a person perfect. Look at the end of verse uh, 1. It can never, the law can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year. Can you see that? By the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year could never make those perfect who draw near. Could never bring about perfection. The law can't do that. The law can't bring us to God. The law exposes us for who we really are. The law is, is, a, is a shining light that reveals our darkness. It's a tutor to bring us to God. Christ, however, makes us complete. The law can't make us perfect, verse 1. But look at verse 14. Verse 14. It says, For by a single offering, He, Jesus, has... What does that word say? Perfected. Has. It's a perfect tense. Perfect tense. Something that took place in the past that has continuing results. He has forever perfected those who come to God. He did this through a once-for-all sacrifice. And in the process, He is setting us apart for Himself. The law can't make us perfect, but Christ has. It's a major theme throughout the book of Hebrews that we would go on to maturity, that we would go on to perfection, but that perfection is found in Christ. He's already made us perfect and 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 they need to rely on that like like I need to rely on it I don't I don't look inwardly to find my perfection I look upward to see his perfection and what he has declared me to be a declaration of righteousness this is good news the law can't do this can't bring it Jesus has the law required continual sacrifice look at verse 2 it says, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered these sacrifices that are made every year continually? They can't bring about perfections. They keep on coming. But Jesus' sacrifice in verse 10 is a once-for-all sacrifice. Look there at verse 10. It says, and by that will, the will of Jesus Christ, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He has brought up this about. Once, through a one-time sacrifice. The law could not cleanse our conscience in verse 2. Couldn't cleanse our conscience. So in other words, every time they were bringing those offerings year after year, there was a reminder every year in verses 2 and 3 of sin. Not sin in general. Not the sin of my neighbor. Not just the sin of my nation. My sin. Year after year. Continually. And with that, my conscience would be plaguing me. The law can't take that plague away. The law can't take that. In fact, the law actually brings it to the table. A constant reminder of our sin and our flaws. However, the sacrifice of Christ brings much better news. Look at chapter 9 and verse 14. Chapter 9 and verse 14. 
We'll start in verse 13. It says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a defiled person with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offer himself, excuse me, offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will he purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So while the law brings about this constant plague of our conscience because of our sin, those that have come to know Christ as their Savior have their conscience completely cleared. Not because I've become great and because I don't sin anymore, but because my sin has been cared for. It's been addressed in the person of Jesus Christ. And so my conscience is cleansed. Christ's sacrifice does that. The law caused the sinner to remember his or her sin, but Christ cleanses us and lets us know how God feels about us. In verse 17, it says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. The law could not take away sin. It's impossible, it says in verse 4. But Jesus, through His sacrifice, according to chapter 9 and verse 26, put away sin. You know the word put away means to abolish. You could, if you want an even more descriptive term, you could call demolish. To blow it up. He's put it away. It's been accomplished. It's been taken care of. So in a very systematic way, the author of Hebrews again presents his case. He compares what the law offered in completion, guilt, reminder, and impossibility over against what Christ offers, which is perfection, once, cleansing of conscience, and eternal forgiveness. And he essentially says, for lack of a better term, which one of these do you want to choose? You want to keep going back to the law? How's that treating you? There's a safe place. There's a safe place. It's a person. Come to Christ. In Him you'll find perfection. In Him you'll be declared perfect. In Him you'll find forgiveness. In Him you'll find cleansing. In Him you'll find an alleviation of your consciousness of sin. And in Him, you will hear God say, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. God has done this. And so we move from the in, uh, in, uh, insufficiency of the law to take away our sin, and now we move just for a moment to the incredible plan of God to take away our sin. There's a lot that could be said in verses 5 through 9. If we were having an exposition this morning, we would spend a lot of time looking back at Psalm 40. I just want to give you the big idea of what's happening here in verses 5 through 9. Well, I'll read it and then I'll just talk through it for a moment. Consequently, verse 5, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body... You have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these were things prescribed according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish 
the second. The big idea is the Lord Jesus Christ's willingness to fulfill the will of God. He was willing to take on a body to fulfill God's will of providing a satisfying, complete sacrifice for sin. This runs right into our conversation that we're going to have in a couple of moments of the Lord's table. We talk about the spilled blood of the Lord Jesus when we participate with the juice, with the cup. We talk about the torn body of Christ when we partake with the unleavened bread. Jesus took upon himself the form of of a servant. He was in the incarnate word. And as the incarnate word, he fully obeyed every law. He pleased the Father in every way. And then he laid his life down as a sacrifice for sin. We're talking about that body that God prepared for him and his willingness to lay down his body and become a curse for us become sin for us even though we knew no sin the author of hebrews refers back to psalm 40 in this concept that was foreshadowing the substance of who christ is and so the law is insufficient but christ is sufficient the law provided insufficient bodies animals that could not provide a blood sacrifice that could eternally take away sin but Christ received a body from the father and he willingly laid his life down and that once for all payment was sufficient to take care of our sin and so we we now look in the last few verses of this section at the indescribable results of God's plan to take away our sin the indescribable results of God's plan to take away sin. Verse 10, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily at, their serv- at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. There's a lot here. I just want to capture it with a couple of terms that will help us. First of all, sanctification. Sanctification. That word means to be set apart, or to be made holy. And in verse 10, by the will of God the Father, obeyed by God the Son, He took on a body, and by that sacrifice of Jesus Christ in His body, the Bible tells us we have been sanctified. This is another one of those declarations of God Oh, I want to be holy. I'm striving to be holy. No, God has made you holy if you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Later on in the text, he talks about this, those who are being sanctified. This is constant setting us apart that God is doing. And, And I want to be in cooperation with that, right? I want to say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. I want to present my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, which is 
my reasonable service. I, I, I don't want to be conformed to this world, but I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind that I might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we, we're being sanctified in one sense. It's a continuous thing where God is uh, reserving us for himself. And I say, Lord, I want to be reserved for you. This is a constant. However, don't sit in, a, in this constant state of consternation. God has already said, I have made you holy. I've made you righteous. I have done this work. In what sense? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. While the law is insufficient, God has provided this indescribable result of sanctification. I, I want it, I, I want it, and, and I've received it as a grace gift from God. Listen to the words. It's not the same exact concept. It's just a similar or parallel concept. You've been declared holy. You've also been declared righteous, right? That's justification. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, for our sakes, He, God the Father, made Him, God the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a declaration of righteousness. God has made me righteous. So again, it's not a parallel exactly term. You know, holiness and righteousness have separate concepts, but they're similar. They're similar terminologies. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, I have been made righteous. He talks about completion. In verses 11 and 12, the, the priest is constantly offering, constantly offering. Jesus offered once and he sat down. One standing, ready for action. The other says it's finished. This is a result of what Jesus has done. The work is done. The work is done. We come to him as a refuge. He's safe. There's no safety in this world. Your safety in Christ. The only real safety you're going to find is in Him. And so God is calling us to Himself. He declares victory in verse 13. Jesus is seated. He's waiting. He's going to return. And when He does, He's going to crush the, the head of Satan. That sounds a little brutal, isn't it? Well, Satan is ravaging people's lives. He's doing his very best to ruin people. And Jesus is going to come back He's already finished the work. He's just going to put his stamp of completion on it. He's going to crush Satan's head under his foot. And the glorious, eternal reign of Jesus Christ will come. Now, there's a lot more to this concept than we have time to unfold there. But this victory is being declared through this once-for-all sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Sanctification, completion, victory, and in verse 14... Eternal life. Eternal life. Look at again verse 14. For by a single offering, He has perfected... Will you say the next three words with me? For all time. Perfected. How long? For all time. Those who are being sanctified. God has done this through the offering of Jesus Christ. He's wrapped us in the robes of Christ. We are forever forgiven. We are perfected Forever, as a born-again believer, someone who has trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, you have been made perfect. You are not scraping and clawing your way toward a right standing with God. He has declared you 
righteous. He has set you apart for Himself. And He remembers your sin no more. It's over. That's what verse 17 says. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And you know, when that situation has taken place, where we have received the forgiveness of God and been declared righteous by God and made perfect by God and made holy by God. You know what? There's no more sacrifice for sin. That's what verse 18 says. Because simple statement, look what he says. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Don't go anywhere else. You've received from God all the cleansing, all the righteousness, all the holiness that you need. You've come to Him and He is a refuge for you. Go nowhere else. He's safe. Take a moment now, if you would, please. Have you come to that place? Have you come to Him? Have you received eternal forgiveness from Him? Has He made you holy? Has He made you righteous? Has He made you perfect? Does that condition abide on you? For all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, these truths, these truths are God's truths applied to us.